Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Let's get, let's get into God's Word. Is that all right? Let's just do this. We're going to continue in, in uh, our series called How To. And I've been really thinking about the book of James a lot lately because we're going through the book of James. But I've been thinking about how the book of James is really one of the most impactful books you can read as a Christian. The, the how-to's in it. And uh, <laughs> because James doesn't pull punches when he talks to you about how to walk out this Christian walk. And we're going to get into that today. James does not pull punches, though. He is blunt, he is straightforward, and because he, he understands the seriousness it takes to walk with God to reach the world. We can't nonchalantly be a Christian, and especially in the world today. We have got to be on fire for God to accomplish our purpose. Our purpose is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can't we can't do that if we're just nonchalantly serving God. And James is a great book of how to be on fire for God. He, he doesn't pull punches. He, he gets you right on the chin every time. I remember in high school, um, I was, I don't know if you guys knew this about me. I might have mentioned it before, but I played basketball. <laughs> um, really? Really? Once I mentioned it once, all right. No, but I was relatively good at basketball, and my senior year I averaged a triple double. Um, I averaged over twenty to twenty-five points a game. There was one game I outscored the entire opposing team, um, and I it, yeah, I remember that. My mom kept that newspaper, uh, and uh, I, I thought I was. I thought I was a stuff, and I uh, graduated high school. I went on to college, and I, I played college basketball. And honestly, we didn't—we weren't like an NCAA. We were NCCAA Division Two. We were a small division. We played some NCAA Division Twos, and they killed us. Um, we would hang with them for about three quarters of the game, and then they would end up beating us by like fifteen or thirty points. It was like. Uh, but I remember going to practice in college, and college was a very humbling thing for my basketball game because suddenly I went from a big fish in a tiny bowl to a small fish in a big bowl, and everyone on the team was better than me, faster than me, and I wasn't used to that. And then after the first couple practices, Coach Hansen, he's really, uh, honestly, it, he's the second most winningest coach in Missouri history. He's in the Hall of Fame like two times in Missouri for basketball. He's he, like in Missouri, he's like almost like a legend. <clears throat> but he calls me aside and he says, Ryan, your shot's broken. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I, I, I not one coach from the time I was in fifth grade through my senior year of high school told me my shot was broken. Like, they, they didn't try to fix it. 
Like, I, I thought my shot was spot on. Like, I, I'm like, I averaged like 20 to 25 points a game my senior year. I averaged a triple-double. Now, if you guys aren't savvy with the triple-double, that means you got double digits in three things every game. And sometimes it was turnovers. I'm just going <laughs> to. Um, but, <laughs> um, but a lot of times I get double digits in rebounds, double digits in assists, double digits in, in points. And I'm like, my shot's not broken. But it was. I would shoot from the top of my head like this. And he's like, you're not shooting right. He said, but I can fix it. So we had a two-hour practice, and every day before practice, I had to go down there, had to sit under the goal with my left arm behind my back, just like I was, like, young again, and shoot off my eyeball, shoot, shoot, shoot right with my elbow in, because I would shoot like that. Had to shoot right with my – and it's probably messed up now, like your shot's still broken. You should have seen it before. And I had, to sh I had to sit there and shoot like this, over and over, with one arm, one arm, over and over and over and over, before practice and after practice, before, until it literally changed my form. Now when I shoot a basketball, I shoot like that. I don't shoot off the top of my head with my elbow out. I shoot correctly. Well, good enough for Coach Hansen anyways. Um, and that's really what the book of James is. You think you're doing good? You think you got this Christian thing under control? You think you're really living for God? And then you read the book of James, and you get to a section like we're about to read. And it's like the Holy Spirit pulling you aside and says, your shot's broken. Your Christianity's broken, but I can fix it. And that's what the book of James is. It's a coach that pulls you aside, says, let's fix you. Let's help you be a better Christian. Coach Hanson wasn't trying to insult me. He was trying to help me be a better basketball player. And guess what? My shot percentage went up. Imagine that. I didn't like it at first. Whenever you get told that you're doing something wrong after doing it for so long, it doesn't, it doesn't always feel comfortable or convenient or nice, but... It's so worth it in the end if you apply what you're learning. So we're going to jump right into James chapter 3, 13 through 18. We're coming right off of controlling our tongue, and we're jumping right into verse 13. He says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Look, look at your neighbor. Just look at one of your neighbors and say, prove it. Prove it. Like, we have an opportunity to prove it today. Prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous, there is selfish ambition in your heart. So jealousy... Uh, that's a uh, kind of a litmus test, a virus test, so to speak, for selfish ambition. 
Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. That could apply to so many areas of our life. It could apply to our government. It could apply, it could apply to our hearts. I will show you my faith by the good... That is the wrong section of Scripture. That is my fault. But we're going to keep going. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder of every kind. But the wisdom... This is in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. So God kind of gives us, he gives us a litmus test for the world's wisdom, and now he's giving us a, a, a litmus test for God's wisdom. And he's, he's saying, this is the wisdom that's from above, and it's willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Father, I pray right now that your word will do its work in our hearts. That this message, that your word will plant seeds in our heart today that we will walk out of here like you, and we will reap a harvest of righteousness. In your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I remember growing up, and one of the worst things I've ever heard, especially when you had a fantastically amazing, awesome story, was two words. It was prove it. Like, if, if you, where I grew up, I had this basketball court, and I played basketball so much that, um, I don't know if you guys knew I played basketball, um, but I played basketball so much that there was no grass. It was just nothing but dirt, and my dad's shed was right behind it. Well, um, it had the roof. I would throw my ball up on the roof sometimes and watch it bounce and try to make it into the goal and just do trick shots and fun stuff, and and. And every now and then, this is before that cameras were everywhere, and you could just set your camera up and record for it, you know, whatever. So I would do something. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. I can't wait to tell all my friends. And then I would go to school the next day, and they would be like, prove it. I'm like, I, I can't prove it here. I did it at home. I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I had one friend that was from Missouri, the Show Me State, and he was like that. He was that prove it guy. Or, or I would... I would um, come to school, and I, have, I, I was that guy, too, you know? Like, I would have a friend that would be like, dude, I popped the rim last night. I popped the rim. I'm like, no, you didn't. Prove it. He's like, yeah, I did, man. I'm like, dude, you couldn't even touch the net yesterday. There's no way you, you popped the rim. Like, you, and, uh, and, but that's uh, exactly the challenge that we're receiving today. Prove it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give you one thought today. And maybe I'll breach my record from last week. But my, my thought for today 
is how to prove it. What are we proving? We're proving that we're walking in God's wisdom. We're proving that we are the church of the living God. We're proving to the world that God is alive and active in us. And James issues a prove it challenge. It's, it's not enough just to say. It's not enough just to think. It's not enough just to pray. You got to prove it. And one of the ways we prove it is by walking out the wisdom of God. We prove it by allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and our minds. We have a, I mean, I'll, I'll shamelessly plug life groups, but you want to prove that you're a church? Host a life group. Prove it. That's the opportunity for you to prove it right there. Prove it. He contrasts two types of wisdom. Two types of wisdom here. And I, I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm just going to pull this up real quick. He says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. If what you think is wisdom does not produce humility in your heart, then you're not walking out God's wisdom. If, if, what, if you're walking in arrogance and pride, you're not walking with God. And that's, that's a gut check for all of us. Because James here says, do good works with humility that comes from wisdom. God's wisdom always produces humility. Because it's not about us. God's wisdom will never point us back to ourselves. It's always about God and his kingdom. But he also says, prove it by doing good works. And if, if all we do is pray, which is a good work, don't get me wrong, prayer is powerful. It is a weapon. It can move mountains. Jesus prayed. We need to have an active prayer life. We need to actively be praying at all times. But at some point in prayer, there needs to be a transition from just words that we're saying to actions that we're doing. If we're praying that the church is a powerful witness in the end times, that means we need to be a powerful witness in the end times. That means we need to share our faith with our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones. That means we need to be a, a, a good worker. That, like There are so many different things we need to do. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about, uh, you, you know, uh, show me your faith and I'll show you my actions. We, we don't get saved through this, but we have, we, we have an opportunity to prove it. Who are we proving it to? We're not proving it to God. We're proving it to ourselves. God knows your heart, so you can't prove anything to him. You could, you could, you could say all you want to God, but God knows the intentions of every decision you make. God knows the real reason why you, you bought that, uh, that, that lady groceries. God knows the real reason you gave to missions. God, like, hopefully it's a pure reason and everything like that. But God sees the intention of your heart. So you don't have to prove anything to God. But by living a life that's, 
that, that, that this prove it by living an honorable life is, is, is when the enemy comes at us, when our enemy of our souls come at us and tries to discourage you and say, you're not, you aren't a Christian. You're like, no, I am a Christian because guess what? I live my life for God and here's the proof. Go back and look. Every decision I make is to glorify God. There's the proof in the pudding. When you live a life that proves it, the enemy has nothing to stand on when he attacks you. He can't say, oh, well, you're not a Christian. Oh, yeah, I am. Not because we're saved by our actions, but the overflow of our action, the overflow, the overflow in our actions comes from a heart that's submitted to God. So when we, when we live a life, we understand God's ways. We prove it by living an honorable life. We prove it by living an honorable life. He gives a checklist here. If you are bitterly jealous, there is selfish ambition in your heart. And i got to be honest, jealousy is not a sin. It really isn't. But bitterness is. Envy is. But we're not called to be that way. We're not called because whenever we get jealous, let's really think about the root cause of jealousy. Especially bitterly jealous. And, and I've, I've said this before, but, but bitterness is, a, is, is, like, is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. It, bitterness really gives control to someone else over your life. So if you're really bitter at someone, that you need to really give that to God. Because that will control you, that will, that will destroy you, that will keep you from living the life that God has for you. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the ways he still kills and destroys is with bitterness and jealousy. But God says, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly or give it to the full. God wants to, God wants to set you free from that bitter root. In fact, um, Peter tells us, don't allow bitterness to take root in your heart. Bitterness is a very serious thing to the Christian. And when you combine that with bitterly jealous, that is a death trap. A death trap. And James here, he's saying, if there's bitter jealousy in you, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth. You need to confess it. And you need to get rid of it. Jealousy is, they have something, and I'm jealous of them, instead of being happy for them. As Christians, when we, we the Bible says we mourn with those who mourn. And I got to say, you guys are amazing. The last, the last several weeks have literally been hell for me and my family. And just to have the text messages and the cards and the phone calls of just checking up have been amazing. Thank you. You guys are walking out that scripture that we mourn with those who mourn. But the Bible also says we rejoice with those who rejoice. And sometimes we get caught up on that second part because we don't like to be happy for people when they're experiencing happiness because we kind of get jealous, right? I can't be the only one. Like, oh, they got a new car. Praise God. <sighs> you know, like... Oh, I just hope that it has better gas mileage. You know, hope their insurance doesn't go up. Yeah, well, let's be real. We rejoice with those who rejoice, too. 
And jealousy keeps us from doing that. But there's a freedom when we can honestly say, I'm so happy for you. I am so excited for you. I'm like, when we can step in and truly have their joy in that moment with them, man, it multiplies the excitement. It multiplies the joy. It multiplies it. Because that's what we do as a church. But jealousy keeps us from doing that. And then it leads to selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is an interesting thing that James points out. Because he says, this is, a, this is what the world's wisdom does. God, God's wisdom never points back to self. It doesn't, and it won't. But the world's wisdom is all about, hey, how does it benefit me? How, how does this affect me? And selfish ambition is all about building your own kingdom. You're selfish. God's wisdom is selfless. God's, God, uh, the world's wisdom is, it has this ambition. How can I get ahead? How can I get a, how, like, it's all about me building my own kingdom. Let's make it all about Ryan. And James is saying, you can't, you can't let that happen. He said, and then, and, and if someone calls you out on it, uh, guess what happens when you're, bitterly jealous, you're full of selfish ambition, you lie. No one likes to be called out on their junk. James is calling the church out. He said, hey, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not willing to accept the pill here, then um, you're going to lie about it. He says, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Truth, the, the, the amazing part about God is he always leads us to truth. And truth doesn't care about your feelings. That's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews to speak truth in love. Because you need, sometimes you just need a hug to come, go, go along with the truth. Because truth hurts. And James is giving us a test here to see if we're motivated by God's wisdom or the world's wisdom. And he says, for the jealousy and, self, uh, jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. If, if you're trying to build yourself up and you're not caring about anyone else around you, then you're not walking in God's wisdom. He says, such things are earthly. They're unspiritual and they're demonic. And the thing is, they can have the appearance Oh, that's wise. But the Bible tells us not to be wise in our own eyes. It says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. It says, true wisdom, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we understand who God is, we can have a true perspective on how to walk out this life. And then, he gets into this. But wisdom that's from above is pure. That's such a powerful thing. This wisdom that God gives us, it looks different. It's different than the world offers. God's wisdom, just to give you a practical example, God's wisdom says forgive. But the world says, you, don't, you have every right not to forgive. They hurt you. They, they cheated on you. They, they did this to you. That's the world's wisdom. It says, don't forgive. God's wisdom says, forgive. 
God's wisdom says be selfless. The world's wisdom says be selfish. God's wisdom says give up your own way. Because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God's, the world's wisdom says, no, 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 think of yourself first. Numero uno. There's a reason why those things rhyme in Spanish. That's the world's wisdom. God's wisdom says, be honest. The world's wisdom says, lie. Oh, but it'll hurt their feelings if I tell them the truth. (laughs) I don't know if you guys know this, but the Bible says that all liars have their place in the lake of fire. Like, I, I, lake of fire, their feelings, lake of fire, their feelings. I don't know if that really compares on the scale of stuff. Just be honest. There's a way to speak truth in love. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if you have too much grace, well, no, no lives are changed. And if you have too much truth, you're just walking out religion. There's truth and grace. And Jesus was full of both. And our job as a Christian is to walk out both. Just like Christ. Grace and truth. God's wisdom produces humility. The world's wisdom produces arrogance. God's wisdom is not run on emotions. It doesn't doesn't fluctuate when emotions are high. It doesn't fluctuate when emotions are low. It's ran and rooted in God. The world's wisdom is rooted in circumstance. If it helps me now, great. If it doesn't, great. You know, like it's circumstantial, but God's wisdom is rooted in him, and he's constant. He's never changing. He's our ever-present help. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why we can go to him in every season, and he's a rock. The Bible says that he's the rock, the horn of our salvation. And God's constant. The world's wisdom is rooted in circumstance. That's why you see people flip-flopping back and forth. They'll say this one moment and then they'll flip back and like because the world's wisdom has no base. There's no truth to it. God's wisdom doesn't make us think of ourselves. It looks to grow God's kingdom. It doesn't boast, it doesn't lie. It doesn't boast, it doesn't lie. How do we prove it? We prove it by walking out God's wisdom. And He does this amazing compare and contrast in our life. If we're starting to look at ourselves, to look to ourselves, to think of ourselves more than what we should, that might be a very good litmus test that we aren't proving that we're the church of the living God. We're proving that we walk in God's wisdom, but what does God's wisdom do? God's wisdom produces righteousness. God's wisdom, God's wisdom 
grows the kingdom. God's wisdom is kingdom-minded. It's always looking to grow and reach the lost. And if we're not looking to be that to the world, then we're probably not walking in God's wisdom. And then James, he actually ends with this statement right there in verse 18. And he says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And I've been chewing on this all week. This idea of peacemaker. Why did he throw peacemakers in with wisdom? And I think to truly be a peacemaker, you have to walk in God's wisdom. Jesus, in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Or if you read the King James, he said, blessed. That was a joke. It's all right. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. I think a lot of us, when we hear peacemakers, our mind translates it. Know what we translate it to? We translate it to peacekeeper. And I want to differentiate between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper real quick because you can't walk in God's wisdom if you're a peacekeeper. And God doesn't bless peacekeepers. But what a a peacekeeper will do, and I, I think there are peacekeepers in here, and we need to repent of peacekeeping because we're not going to grow the kingdom by being a peacekeeper. Because a peacekeeper, it looks like wisdom, but it's the world's wisdom. A peacemaker, though, operates in God's wisdom. And I recognize this because this is what I struggle with. And the Lord, in his grace, is working on me to purge me. And one of the things I pray, I'm not going to lie, I pray all the time, Lord, help me to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. And the reason why this is so important for the Christian is because a, a peacekeeper thinks of themselves first. They will sacrifice everyone around them to keep the peace. They will compromise truth to keep the peace. When, when, when things are coming at you hard, when things are, um, when people in your family are attacking you and you know it's not right what they're doing, but you don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers, you, you, you withdraw and, and you apologize and you do all these things to keep the peace. That's not what God calls us to do. The Bible tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. James says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. A peacemaker, on the other hand, sometimes has to go to war to make peace. They don't compromise truth in an effort to keep peace. That means you might have to break relationships to maintain peace. Peacekeepers want to keep every relationship in their family, keep everything, and it doesn't matter if they sacrifice stuff and hurt people around them as long as it's 
That peace is temporary. But God gives us a peace the world can't give. And if we want to be like God and walk in God's wisdom, we've got to be peacemakers. If we want God's blessing on our life, we've got to be peacemakers. That means there are going to be times where we're going to have to use God's wisdom. Actually, all the time we have to use God. But speak truth and love. And if they don't like it, we're going to have to say, sayonara, I love you, I'm here if you need me, but that's the end until you're ready to talk. That's peacemaking. That's hard. That's hard. But God, when, when we decide, it's amazing what happens when we decide to live out God's word, the outcome is so much better. Because God says that the peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. And they will harvest righteousness. When you make a stand for what God says, it might be hard. But your harvest is coming. In fact, there are two phrases in this section. James uses, he uses the word plant seeds and he uses the word fruit. And it's amazing what happens when we plant seed. Nothing seems to happen at first. But like everything in the kingdom, it doesn't look the way it is. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed. And we're called to plant seeds. And so if we're a peacemaker, we're planting seeds. And the overflow of God's wisdom is, well, I mean, let's just read it real quick. Let's look at, let's look at what, what planting seeds of God's wisdom will do. It's pure, it's peace-loving, it's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. We plant seeds. And we, we don't know necessarily get the results right away. But there's something exponential about planting seeds. When we plant the seeds of God's wisdom, when we plant the seeds of, of peace, it produces all those things I just read. It's kind of like planting a watermelon seed. Like everything to make a watermelon is in that seed, even though that seed has no fruit in it. Or, or planting an apple seed. You don't plant an apple seed, though, to get apples, do you? Plant an apple seed to get an apple tree that produces apples. But everything in the apple seed is there to make a tree. Even though it's just a tiny little seed. And today, we have an opportunity to prove it. We prove it by walking in God's wisdom. James gave us a great litmus test to see whether we're walking out the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world. 
But then he challenges us to plant seeds. And if the fruit in your life doesn't look like the fruit that we just read, that means there's no root of God's wisdom. There's no root of the Holy Spirit working. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If there's no fruit, there's no root. And so we have this opportunity to say, God, align me, change me, walk with me, and help me to walk out your wisdom, and help me to plant seeds that will produce righteousness. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground in John chapter 12 and dies, it can can't produce anything. We we plant it and let God produce it. You can't produce this stuff in yourself. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only by the work of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, coming down to the front and at altar call or that doesn't prove anything. We're having a service and I've been praying about this all week. God, what's the proper response? What's the proper response to a challenge in your word to prove it? I think how I would like to how I would like to respond, how I've been responding all week to this section of scripture in my own heart is I've been praying. God, give me opportunities to prove that you're at work in me. If the issue is prove it by living an honorable life, give me opportunity to live an honorable life. Maybe there's some people here after hearing the the test, you just need to repent. Say, God, forgive me. I've been walking out the world's wisdom. I don't want to do that anymore. I've been planting the wrong seeds in my life. I've been harvesting the wrong harvest. If that's you, God forgive them. That's a conversation between you and God. But the real proof to this challenge is when we walk out these doors. We can come up here and cry our eyes out. We can come up here and pray the sinner's prayer. We can can come up here and do all the stuff that we're supposed to do in church, and that doesn't prove anything if your heart's not in it. Maybe proving it to you is stepping out in faith and saying, you know what, I'm going to come to that life group training next Sunday. I'm going to just, I have nothing to lose. I'm, I, I could host a life group. Maybe that's how you're going to prove it. Not to earn your righteousness, not to earn your salvation, but... James Strait says, if you are wise in God's wisdom and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from God. The proof is in the pudding. It's not up here. It's out there. 
So I don't want to negate, though, an opportunity. If you do have a legitimate need, I do want to pray with you. And if, you, if you're going through something, or maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never said, God, forgive me of my sins. I would love to walk with you. But once again, that prayer means nothing unless you live it out. It's just words. God's not really interested in lip service. He wants a changed heart, a, a, a church that's on fire for him. And when we walk out, when we prove it, man, you guys just step back. Step back and watch God do what he can do. It's going to be mind-blowing. I have this anticipation building in my heart. I've had it for probably three or four months now, like like an amplified anticipation. And then in the last three weeks, it's just even amplified. I'm like, God, I don't know what you're about to do. But I do know that this fall is going to have something. And I don't know, I can't put my finger, I, I, I wish, I wish that's how God worked. Um, I'm not a prophet. Um, actually, technically, prophets' roles were to call people to repentance, so maybe I am. Um, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. But I don't necessarily have a prophecy about what's about to happen. But I do know God's about to pour himself out. And he wants to pour himself out on people who are willing to do what he wants us to do. Because if we're not willing to step out, if we're not willing to do what he wants us to do, he'll go to somewhere else that will. And there are churches all around us that are willing Let's be one of them. God is pouring himself out and he wants a move. Oh, his church needs to be revived to see the world through his eyes, to reach the world with his heart. But we got to walk in his wisdom. We got to plant seeds that he wants us to plant. We got to step out. We got to prove it. Father, I pray right now for your church. Lord, we need you. Oh, Jesus, help us prove it. This challenge that James issued to the church 2,000 years ago is even more relevant today as our nation needs you like never before. The church needs to rise like never before to declare what you called us to do like never before, God. Pour yourself out on us. Let us give you more than lip service. Let us live a life that points people to you. I thank you that you gave us such a wonderful church. Lord, I thank you for C1, but Lord, we haven't even begun to understand what you're about to do through us. Lord, there's not one person here that should write themselves off for what you're about to do because you want to use every single one of us to bring the end time harvest. Jesus, you told your disciples, just open your eyes. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Lord, let us be counted amongst the few. 
Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're about to do. Thank you for what you're about to do. Let the true response to your word be a life that's subjected and submitted to you when we walk out of here tomorrow morning when we don't want to get out of bed, when we don't want to look at that boss, oh, when we, when we see that person that annoys us at work, when we, when, oh God, I pray that, 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 that this, this word will transform us as, 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 as we step out and say, God, you know what? They might irritate me, but they need you, so I'm going to pray with them right now. That, 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 that we step out. Help us to prove it, God. Help us to prove it, God. This week, Lord, let testimonies roll in. Give us opportunity in your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.